Welcome to Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions. I'm your host, Charles Commons. For the month of November, we are going to be focusing on lead generation. And what better way to kick it all off than to talk to the guys at Serious Decisions about the definition of a lead. Of any term in B2B marketing, it's probably the most common term that has the most definition. Sometimes when you talk about leads, people think about the system entity of the lead. Uh, Sometimes when you think about lead, it's more the logical view. It's not a single one-size-fits-all silver bullet. There's more value in having somebody that we know is part of the buying group engaging than somebody that we think is outside and maybe not part of the buying group. Serious Decisions is a global B2B research and advisory firm with its headquarters based in Connecticut, the USA. The company provides advisory, consulting and learning services to help executives improve the performance of their sales, marketing and product strategies. Serious Decisions developed the Demand Waterfall model back in 2005, which is widely used by B2B companies to describe and measure their lead-to-revenue funnel. The latest update to the Demand Waterfall was made in 2017. Terry Flaherty is a Senior Research Director at Serious Decisions and is our guest today. It's important to note that the term leads can mean different things to different people, so to start our discussion, I asked Terry what in his view is a traditional definition of a lead. Hmm, that's, that's a great question, Charles, and, and, and it's kind of interesting because leads, um, of any term in B2B marketing, it's probably the, the most common term that has the most definitions, right? And there's the, the logical view of what we think about as a lead, right? And, and what also complicates things is there's, there's often a system term or system view of what a lead is. And so if you look at you know, many of the Salesforce automation systems, they'll have this construct called a lead. And, and so sometimes when you talk about leads, people think about the system entity of the lead. Uh, some things when times when you think about lead, it, it's more the logical view. But what, what I like to start with is to think about a lead is really basic, right? And, and, you know, it's a broad term, but if we think about a lead, typically a lead is a person, right? And, and that person, we believe, has the, you know, a business need that we can solve and, and they play a role in, in making this buying decision process. And, and so when I have sort of the three building blocks of demand, if you will, right? We have a buyer or a person, we believe that person has a business need and probably just as importantly, you know, our solutions a viable alternative would be able to solve that business need. Then that combination of the buyer and, and the belief of the need and our fit really constitutes what I think of as logically a lead, right? So what are the pros and cons of that definition then? Surely a buyer is just a buyer. Yeah, you, you would think so, right? And, and, I, and I agree conceptually that the buyer is a buyer, but uh, you know, each one of those elements I talked about has a lot of nuances to it. And, and so, for example, we, we think about you know, the person, right? And, and, and the question becomes, you know, if I'm coming to sales and saying, I have a lead for you, Right. One of the first questions is, well, what role are they playing? Are they an important po- you know, part of the buying decision process? What role do they play in the buying group? You know, are, do they own budget? Do they, you know, are they the influencer? Are they the, the direct decision maker? So there's a lot of nuances around you know, what we think of as the person in the construct of the lead. Right. And, and the same thing with need. How do we verify and, and validate that this need exists and, and how important is it to this buyer to solve the business problem? And then, you know, from a solution perspective, are, are we really a good fit? 
right? So each one of those nuances have to be you know, fleshed out where we say, okay, well, a lead for us is going to be somebody that, you know, fits one of these six titles and we can verify their need or interest based on, on answers to these types of questions. And, and we want timing to be that they have a project within six months or four months or whatever the case might be. So, you know, understanding and negotiating between marketing and sales on those key elements is really a critical thing. But what, but there's another nuance, which is kind of interesting too, is that, you know, as we think about our lead management process, there's very often in, in most B2B organizations sort of three different key functional roles, right? And so we have marketing that, you know, starts out and gets somebody to raise their hand. Uh, we may put them through lead scoring, right, and send that over then to a telequalification group. And that qualification group, you know, will reach out and, and start the qualification process. And then, you know, when it reaches kind of the threshold that everybody's agreed to as being a sales-ready lead, we'll, we'll send it over to sales and, and sales will pick up and run with it from that point. And, and, and so in that scenario I just gave you, there's some really key handoff points, right? Marketing to tele and then tele to sales. And, and so that same person, right, is quote unquote a lead, but uh, how we think about them and for the progression that they're making and the insight we have really starts to, to vary and increase as we move further through the process. So, you know, the, the definition of a lead evolves and expands at each one of these key critical points. And, and so it's really important to have a construct that says, as we look in our, you know, across our demand management process and the flow at each one of these handoff points, you know, I need to look at, you know, the description of the buyer, description of the need, description of our fit of our solution, but maybe have different degrees of, of nuance on the insight we have that, that allows us to pass it from one group to the other, right? And, and so as an example, right, the, the insight that I need to take a lead and move it from marketing and lead scoring over to tele is significantly different, right? And, and often much lighter than the insight that I would use to take a lead and, and move it from tele to sales, right? And, you know, coming from marketing to tele, it may be, you know, that we're going to quote unquote score this lead and look at profile characteristics like company size and what role this person is and what kind of engagement we've seen. And, and then when we get into the handoff from tele to sales, right, it might be much deeper. It might be that, you know, we're looking for the person that owns the budget. We're looking for initiatives that are going to occur within the next six months. And, and, and so it's really important to think about as, as a definition of a lead. It's like the lead for what part of the process, right? What's the handoff point and, and where are we moving this responsibility for this, this person from you know, one group to the other? So, um, you know, at each point in our process, it, it's absolutely still a lead, but it's additional layers of insight. And, and we actually created, we, we call it the lead spectrum, right? We created a, a, a framework that um, allows organizations to say, okay, when I pass a lead to tele, right, that, you know, it's going to have these characteristics and we may, it, it could be, I just, send a lead over that's a, just a name in the company, right? That's called a level zero lead. But if marketing and sales agree that that's what we're going to do, then, then that's a valid lead. You know, the other end of the spectrum is like a level six lead. And a level six lead is, you know, we've done extensive qualification. We've verified deep, deep attributes like budget authority, need, timing, compelling event, maybe part of the ecosystem. And we've also scheduled an appointment for the end seller, right? And so, you know, I, I think the key nuance or takeaway is, you know, we have this simple concept of belief, but it's going to vary as we think about different stages in the process.
Another key thing, right? And this is kind of an interesting thing is when I so, so just background, I, I, I do a lot of work with clients around the demand management process. It's serious, right? And, and I'll have many conversations around what is it as far as what is a lead from a definition perspective of, you know, what, what's the company size and the role and, and what degree of interest do we want to see? But another really critical element when we think about the concept of a lead is, is what we call service level agreements, right? And and so as we're defining and thinking about the lead, and number one, we want to determine here here's the characteristics of the lead. But another really critical part of, of the successful demand management process around the context of a lead is, is a service level agreement, right? And, and, and that service level agreement says, you know, when I get a lead, here's what we're going to do with that lead. Right? And, and the, what we're going to do are things like, when are we going to follow up? What's the timeliness of what my first touch attempt is going to be? You know, how many times am I going to attempt to engage? And, and, and so a really critical thing that, to consider as we're thinking about defining leads is not just the definition, but also the, the process of, of you know, what we're going to do and the roles and responsibilities and who owns it and how long do they have to act and, and what happens if they don't act and, and how we disqualify. Because, you know, as everybody knows, not every lead we, we generated in marketing is going to be a ready lead. And, and so we need to have understanding as part of our lead definition process around concepts like how do we disqualify and what we do with these disqualified leads. Right. Now, another really new, you know, interesting nuance, and, and this is kind of a teaser for maybe a little bit later in the conversation, is um, in a lot of organizations, another important aspect of the concept of a lead is the concept of being new. Right. And, and that may, may mean it might translate to, you know, this lead is a new person that we've never spoken with before. Right. Or, um, you know, it could also be this is a person from a new company that we've never spoken to before. And so, you know, one of the things I see a lot in the common definition of leads is this focus on, you know, we want new contacts from new logos. And as we'll talk about later, when we talk about kind of process breakage and the evolution of, of how we think about leads, that, that's actually a really dangerous sort of goal or definition of a lead, right? What we're really interested in understanding is not, not a new person, not a new company. What we're really trying to identify is, is new potential opportunities or new demand instances, right, where, where we see evidence, some sort of signal that says, hey, I think there's a new potential opportunity that exists here. And, and whether it came from a new logo and a new person or, an, or, you know, or a new person in an existing company or, or even a secondhand raise from somebody that we already have a relationship with, that's also really important as we think about the lead, right? It, it's not all just new as far as the, con the context of people and accounts. It, it's a new buying opportunity or a new demand instance that we're really focused on. And, and so at the end of the day, right, when we think about all these definitions around trying to understand and define what a lead is, the, the most important thing, right, there is no silver bullet answer that says this is the best definition of lead, right? It's, it's very context-based around things like market maturity, market readiness, our process. But the most important thing at the end of the day is that we have a very tight agreement between marketing and tele and sales and basically all, all the people involved in this process on you know, what is the attributes that we really must have? What are we looking for? And then, and then, like I said earlier, what are we going to do with it when we get it? And how do we manage it through that? With regards to those SLAs you mentioned, Terry, in the context of getting the agreement of what that process looks like, who decides? 
Is it the marketing department or the sales department who agree what that service level agreement should be? So, so that is a great question, and and, and the answer is, um, you know, service level agreements are really an organizational level contract as opposed to kind of driven by a specific department. So, you know, we we see probably one of the biggest mistakes we see when organizations start to do service level agreements is, you know, marketing will go off and say, okay, we're going to define the SLA, and it's going to be that you know sales will reach out within 24 hours, and they're going to do X number of touch attempts, and and yeah, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Right. What we, what we really like to see is, you know, because this is a cross-functional process, it has to be joint ownership between marketing and tele and sales, right? And and everybody has to be part of the process of defining it, because at the end of the day, everybody also has to be responsible for the accountability to make sure that their specific groups are actually operating to the terms that they've agreed to. Right. And so they need skin on the game on what it is that they're committing to. And then they also have, you know, accountability to say if if we're going to have a service level agreement where, you know, we're reaching out to new leads sent from tele to sales within 24 hours, I need to make sure that's happening in my organization, because if it doesn't, it's going to have negative impact you know, on the overall waterfall performance or, or demand management process. And, and that's going to happen both downstream and upstream. It's going to affect things like marketing budget because it affects conversion rate. So, uh, you know, service level agreements and management, like I said, the cross-functional process. And, and we actually re- you know, recommend forming what we call a demand management council, right? And that demand management council really is looking at, you know, the definition of leads, the definition of service level agreements, how efficient we are in moving through the process, how we're comparing our current performance against goals, and, you know, kind of identifying where the, the weak links are in, in that process, and then having the accountability sort of at a joint organizational level to identify sort of the weak points uh, and, and, and commit to the organization that you're going to solve it, because the end goal, right, is we want more deals from the quote-unquote leads that we're putting into the top of the funnel. So definitely SLAs is a cross-functional uh, you know, sort of decision and, and process that has to be made. You mentioned, Terry, before about the lead spectrum um, that you've created at Serious Decisions. Um, where, where does that model break? Yeah, I, I, so, so I think I think that there's a, a couple breakpoints in how we see organizations thinking about leads today, right? And um, you know, so most of our clients today are put it, have a process in place that we consider a very lead centric model. Right. And, um, you know, so that lead centric model says I have people come into the process and, and they represent, you know, where we believe that each person that comes into the process represents a potential new deal for us. Right. And so, uh, you know, when I put that process in place, the, the breakpoints in that view, right, is really around sort of the definition and lack of agreement that, you know, we may think from a marketing perspective, we're sending over good leads, but sales looks at it and goes, hey, the, these leads aren't good, right? And the reason I think that they're not good is because, you know, I got this lead two weeks ago and I finally called them and, and guess what? You know, they're cold, right? And, you know, part of it's definitional, but part of it goes back to like that SLA issue of, uh, you know, if, if the salesperson would have had the opportunity to engage quickly, the lead would have been a lot warmer, right? So, there's a big piece of, of breakage just around the operational. What's the definition? What's the service level agreement? And how are we engaging in a timely fashion? But I, I think there's a bigger issue, right? And, and the bigger issue is a, an emerging trend that we're really excited about and, and really focused on uh, at, at Sirius, which is kind of a strategic shift in how we think about this concept of leads to begin with, right? And, you know, 
we forever have done studies that says in, in B2B buying situations, uh, you know, the, the decision process and the, and the people that make a decision in the company, it's, it's a buying group. It's, it's not individual. You know, well over 80 percent of the time, you know, in B2B world, it, it, it's a group of people coming together to solve a business problem. They all play a key role in this buying decision process. And, and that buying group might be, you know, two or three people if it's a, you know, smaller decision where it's not a large purchase price and it's not, you know, major impact the organization. But yeah, I've seen buying decision processes where it may be 20 or 30 people working together to solve that business problem. And so, so the challenge is that, um, you know, today, most of our systems and our processes are really still centered around, especially from a marketing perspective, thinking about individual leads, and they're really not instrumented and designed um, to think about this concept of a buying group. Sales has pretty much forever kind of recognized that you know, when they sell a deal in, in a B2B environment, that, that they know there's multiple people that they have to get thumbs up from. They, they know that there's a buying group that they're engaging with. And, and as they go through their sales process, you know, they're thinking about, you know, the, this concept of the opportunity and the multiple people involved in the opportunity. And they're, and they're having conversations and, and kind of winning over support across this group. Right. So, so that's all nice. But one of the other big breakpoints is, um, you know, when, when you look into systems in sales, most of the time, while, while sales understands the importance of this buying group and, and the fact that they have to engage in multiple people, you know, the challenge is when, when you look into systems, right, you, you may see, if anything, right, one, one contact has been associated to the opportunity. But all that other insight of all the other people that are part of the buying process very often isn't documented, right? And and so, um, you know, that that kind of leads to sort of this big critical, you know, issue or problem of, you know, we have number one sales thinking about, um, you know, kind of individual leads and and getting all excited and going to the leadership and saying, hey, we produced a thousand MQLs or AQLs or TQLs this this quarter, and, and sales going, well, really, that's interesting, but I'm really thinking about opportunities, and you know, it's nice that I got a thousand leads, but how does that really translate to opportunities? And and you know, that's what what I'm really interested in. But again, it's not necessarily systematized in sales. And, and so you have sort of this perfect storm of marketing aiming one way, sales thinking another, but not systematized. And, and that leads to like broken processes. And it also leads to some cultural, cultural issues that, that we've seen that, that are really problematic. And, and, and so this all gets exacerbated, right? This, this whole focus on buying groups and the inside of buying groups, you know, as we aim at larger organizations, and also, as we think about things like account-based marketing, where our goal becomes, you know, we, that we want to focus on deeper engagement across an account, that there's sort of this collision that happens because we have a process that's focused on single leads. We have sales thinking about accounts and opportunities, and they're not aligned. And 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 you know, there there there's often this breakpoint, and and the the breakpoint's so significant, we actually gave it a name. Right. And, and we call this the, what we call the second lead syndrome. Right. And let, let me walk you through what, what that looks like. Right. And, and, and what we've seen, I think this is the biggest issue right now in B2B demand management. Right. So, um, you know, 
very typical. Let's say that an organization says, okay, we're going to aim at these 500 accounts. Cool. And we're going to build demand gen programs. And our goal is to get people to raise their hands across these 500 accounts. Perfect. Right. So marketing goes out and they execute, you know, these programs under, under things like an ABM strategy and, and they start generating leads. Right. And they get that first lead through and, you know, it reaches the lead score and gets sent over to tell and it gets qualified and everybody's really excited. But, you know, we've aimed this program at an account with maybe 100 people in our target or 50 people or whatever. And, and so that second lead comes in from that same account. Right. And um, what, what's really fascinating and, and also sort of frustrating in a lot of ways is very often the, the perceived value of that second lead in the account is negligible. Right. And, and in fact, sometimes we have processes that purposely sort of eliminate any insight we get from the second or third or nth number of leads. So, you know, first lead comes through, it gets qualified, sent over to sales. Let's say they open up an opportunity. In a lot of organizations, if that second lead comes in, um, that lead's disqualified, right? Because we have an open opportunity already. The the belief is, quote unquote, sales is already working this account and they're going to have visibility into it. And, and so there's no real value in having, you know, our, our tele-team call and qualify that lead. You know, we in, you know, maybe we'll send it over to sales and say, hey, here's another lead on that account. But it typically doesn't get sort of recognized. It's very often not attached to the opportunity. And so you know, we've, we've got this big problem where because we've been marketing focused on individual leads and we also put a lot of emphasis on this concept of newness, right? All the effort we do to drive account penetration and engagement really often just falls into the black hole of, of this thing called the second lead syndrome. And, and like I said, I think, you know, as we look at, you know, how organizations are trying to improve the performance of their overall demand management process, th this is really the biggest issue we're seeing now because, you know, again, because of the focus on things like ADM, we, we want to try to drive further account engagement. But we really haven't, you know, established the new processes and we haven't really established kind of a new cultural view that says there's huge amount of value. In fact, there's probably more value in the second, third, fourth and, and nth lead coming in from the account than there was from, from that first lead. Right. And that's very often because like the first lead may be the scout. They'll come and download, you know, five pieces of content and everybody gets all excited. But the real people, the, the real influencers and decision makers could be in that second wave. And, and we're basically eliminating them from the process because we don't perceive them as having extra value. You're talking there of the focus on individuals and newness and second lead syndrome issue. It seems apparent that the alignment and harmony is missing from the selling organisation side, whether through a lack of organisational alignment or the cross-functional ownership you mentioned at the beginning, there is a challenge to take competing and at times territorial functions to be in alignment. So that probably leads us to our next question, which is how can selling organisations best align with the characteristics of the buying group? What we see in organizations a lot is kind of this view that says, okay, marketing is responsible for leads, sales is going to be responsible for opportunities, and sales is the one to define, you know, kind of the context of the opportunity. So we'll send a lead over to sales, they'll do qualification, and at some point, right, they'll create an opportunity and continue qualifying and close. But, uh, you know, the, the, if you will, owner of that opportunity is the salesperson. Right. And, you know, I think that's a, a big cultural issue. And, and we're seeing sort of a, a major transformational you know, change in perspective in a lot of organizations where they're kind of recognizing that that the opportunity 
right? And, and the opportunity with that association of this group of people all working together to solve that business problem or that buying group that's connected to that opportunity, that, that's not just a sales asset, right? That, that's, a, that's an organizational asset. And, and, and so, you know, kind of the best way to start to align uh, marketing and sales together around this is to recognize that, you know, the, the opportunity asset or the opportunity entity, the opportunity concept really is an organizational asset. And, and what we want marketing and teleservices and sales all to do is focus on identifying and qualifying and engaging and closing opportunities as opposed to this bifurcation that says, no, marketing is thinking about leads and, and, you know, sales is thinking about opportunities. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that we're not thinking about people, right? Marketing is still absolutely going to try to engage with, with multiple people. The nuances and the difference is that now what we want to do is look at this engagement with people and try to put it into the context of the relationship of, of buying groups, right? So, hey, I got three leads from an account and they all downloaded the same type of content in the same, same time frame. There, there's a pretty good chance that those three people are, are working together into a buying group. So let, let's think about how we, from a process and a system perspective, recognize that. Right. And group those people logically together so that, you know, marketing can see that I've got three out of the five people that we believe are in the buying group engaged and, and tell then can say, OK, cool. When I go to qualify, I'm not just going to qualify, you know, Fred Smith. I'm going to qualify the group. And if I can't get Fred, I see other people that are engaged that I can reach out to. And oh, by the way, I see that we have some white space that we don't know who's playing the role of these other roles in, in this buying decision process. So let's have Tella as part of their qualification process start to ask those questions right so hey i see that john and sally are also involved in this buying decision process who's, who's playing the role of technical validator who, who owns the budget right you, you can leverage that opportunity to get a much deeper profile then of um, you know how how we are how, how engaged we are and how successful we are in, in connecting with the buying group as opposed to the individual but but to do that right it, it, that's a major transformational change and, and it really starts with, you know, number one, like I said earlier, there's a lot of focus, for example, on account-based marketing. And I think it's great to align marketing and sales to say, hey, we're going to go after these 500 accounts. That's a great first start. But, but probably more importantly is to say, okay, well, in those 500 accounts, how many potential opportunities actually exist? And, and we may have, you know, five different solutions that we're taking to market, and some of them are sold to just one buying group, but others might be sold to a couple different buying groups in an account. So we may say, okay, you know, within an account, we have nine or 10 different potential opportunities that exist in a typical account. And, and then we can say, okay, well, that, that helps us narrow down and understand kind of the scope of what we're aiming at. Now let's look at each one of those opportunities and, and understand like who, who are the people that are involved in the buying decision process for the solution and, and let's capture that. Right. And, and now I have this concept of what we call a demand map. A demand map basically is a way to look at an account and say, here's where the opportunities exist based on buying groups and solutions. And then take it one step further to say within the buying group, here's the key roles. And now all of a sudden, I mean, I have a client, for example, they, they have five potential opportunities that they have in, in every account. And they've identified the buying groups for these different opportunities. And so they now know that in every account, there's 26 people that they consider really valuable people because they play significant roles in the potential pro buying processes that have been identified. So now marketing and sales is really aligned on 
what do we do to try to get engagement and awareness and interactions with those 26 different people? And when I get those interactions, how do I package that interaction together in the context that says, hey, this is this is interactions that are relevant to solution one versus relevant to solution two. And, and so, um, you know, last year we introduced this concept of the demand unit and the demand unit waterfall as a new way for marketing and sales to align around this concept of opportunities, right? And the concept of buying groups and, and systematically connect all this stuff together so that, you know, we have really great visibility. It says these are the seven people, or if you want to call it the seven leads that are part of this buying decision process, let's make sure we understand, you know, number one, who they are, number two, roles and responsibilities of who's going to go try to drive engagement with them. And, and then what the process looks like to manage that group of people moving forward. After the break, we'll talk more about the work serious decisions have done around buying groups. We'll be back in a minute. Serious Decisions is a research and advisory firm that delivers the actionable, intelligence, transformative frameworks and expert guidance that equip executives to modernise and elevate sales, marketing and product performance. Fast-growing companies rely on Serious Decisions research and insights to improve their decision-making ability and help them implement and change processes faster to drive growth. Based on a recent study, Serious Decisions clients are proven to grow 12 to 15 times faster than their peers and have a 34% higher profitability rate. Serious Decisions' mission is to help their clients achieve cross-functional alignment and improve performance through access to cutting-edge research and collaborative step-by-step counsel. Check out their latest research and insights at SeriousDecisions.com. Welcome back to Tech Demand Weekly. We're with Terry Flaherty of Serious Decisions, talking about the definition of a lead. Serious Decisions' latest work is around buying groups, so I asked Terry to give an overview as to why this is important today. So we introduced this, the concept of, you know, the demand unit and the buying group about a year and a half ago, right? And anybody that's kind of followed the, the press and media around the serious decisions, demand unit waterfall, you know, you saw a flurry, just hundreds of articles and blog posts, everybody going, this is brilliant, or this is idiotic, and everybody had all these really strong opinions. But, you know, in, in general, what we saw was demand marketers got it, and they said, yeah, this makes a whole lot of sense. Um but now I need to go sell this concept of shipping our focus away from individual leads to buying groups uh, to the rest of the organization, right? And um, it represents a pretty significant transformational process because now you know, what we're doing is saying, hey, hey, sales, hey, teleservices, hey, organization, you know, we're not going to report on on individual leading. We're going to start thinking about buying groups and we're going to you know, like the way a lot of organizations operationalize the demand unit waterfall is to create opportunities very early in the process because the opportunity entity in most Salesforce automation systems, you know, allows me to connect multiple people to that opportunity. So it's it's kind of the perfect example of, of the demand unit, right? But, but, but making that shift was, is a big process change and a cultural change. And, and so, you know, we had to answer the question of, you know, okay, cool. It makes logical sense to say, let's think about a group, but, but why do we need to do this? Right. And when, when we really pulled back the layers of the onion and said, you know, here, here's the reason why we need to change. If, if you think about the standard lead centric demand management process and, and the success rate that we have of this process, you know, it, it's a cross functional process. It's a really critical process to the organization because it's translating marketing and, and sales and, and tele investment 
in the revenue. And, and yet, as the way we think about this process today and define that process today, it has a 99% failure rate, right? Because the average, and, and it varies a little bit, but, you know, just back the napkin math says, you know, the average performance of, of the waterfall, if I'm thinking about individual leads, it's about a 1% close rate, right? So I get somebody to raise their hand and, and give or take a little bit of variation, roughly, you know, one, one deal comes out of every 100 inquiries I put into the top of the funnel. Right. And and so, you know, when you sit there and go, okay, this is a 99% failure rate, we, we must be doing something wrong. Right. And, and and what we're doing wrong is number one, thinking about leads in the wrong, you know, the wrong context. We're thinking about individual silos as opposed to thinking about buying groups. And, and we're not systematizing it. So um, you know, that that was the major sort of compelling event that you know, woke us up and, and also is waking our clients up of, you know, this is really a critical process, but it but it's severely broken because we're just thinking about it wrong and, and, and we're measuring it wrong, right? You know, where, you know, I, I get five people from that same company, those are five inquiries, but, but four of them are going to get disqualified because it's quote unquote duplicate leads or that second lead syndrome. And so, you know, my math gets all broken, my, my process is all broken. So that became sort of the compelling reason that says we need to rethink this. this is, that, that process is not really indicative, you know, especially now of true B2B demand management processes. So that was really the compelling event to say we need to rethink this process and, and, and realize that it requires different measurement and different approaches to really re- reflect what today's B2B demand management process looks like. So the sales and marketing landscape continues to evolve. Um, What are some of the major changes that are occurring that have major ramification on how we think about leads? Yeah, that's another great question, and, and, and so so kind of related to um, you know what we were talking about earlier around buying groups and, and the definition of a lead, right? And you know, so I, so I said initially, you know, lead somebody that we believe is interested in our solution because they raised their hand, and they're the right fit, and and they're the right role, and and they've expressed interest, and we think we can solve their problem. What I just described was a signal. Right. And, and it was basically a signal that said, you know, I have a very discreet thing. Somebody raised their hand and then we processed that signal and determined and we learned something on that. Right. One of the really exciting things that's occurring in the demand management process is, you know, we're, we're now able to get different signals and, and, and much different granularity of the signal than what we've had in the past. So, so let me tell you the story of or just give you an example of what's really happening in like a, a typical B2B buying decision process, right? So, you know, that, that, that group recognizes, you know, so I may have like, for example, an HR team, right? And, and the HR team, um, you know, kind of recognizes to support the goal of, you know, 25% year over year growth for our organization that, you know, we need to improve our hiring process. We have to get better at hiring the right people from an accuracy perspective. And, and we need to be a lot more efficient because we need to support this growth rate. We need to bring a lot of people in. And so, you know, that HR team may have 50 people in it and they go, okay, you know, everybody involved in talent, talent management, we're going to start to go out and, and evaluate solutions and see if we can solve this business problem. So there may be 20 people in that HR group that 
are involved in you know researching the best practices in talent management, starting to look at the vendors, uh, understand you know all the different issues. So those twenty people are out on the web, right? And and they're out researching and hitting different websites and looking at vendors and you know looking at, at you know associations and just articles and and all that, right? So there's twenty people that are out in the market. 10 of those people might make it to your site and they're coming in anonymously. And, and you know, we're seeing like 90% of, of web activity, you know, typically your name's anonymous. It's people that are coming in, they're looking at your ungated content. They're, they're starting to learn about you as an organization, but they haven't committed to say, I'm going to tell you who I am yet. Right. So, you know, now we've gone from like 20 people in the market, 10 that made it to my site, you know, maybe four of those 10 download a white paper and they fill out a form and say, here's my name and contact information. And, and then of those four, maybe one downloads two or three white papers and, and they become that AQL or the MQL. Right. And, and, and so that's very often the signal that, you know, triggers the, hey, tell a, here's a lead because it's somebody they engaged from a threshold perspective. They downloaded enough white paper into the right role. But, but I hope you get the sense that says, you know, that one person that reached through and downloaded all the content, that's only the tip of the iceberg of the story and, and the signals and the insight that we can gain to get a, a better understanding of this potential opportunity, right? And, and the question becomes, you know, this one person that came to my website and downloaded three or four white papers, are they acting as a lone ranger and, and just going off and doing things randomly? Or can I get other signals from other sources to get a much more holistic view that says, hey, look, there's actually a team of 20 that are out doing, you know, and I can identify with third-party and send signals that, you know, Acme has a large number of people out researching this topic. And then I can look at my website and see that I've got, you know, distinct, unique, anonymous visitors from Acme hitting my website. And then I've got four people in my database that have self-identified and and one that reached that lead score threshold. And, and, and so in the past, right, from a process perspective and a technology perspective, all our focus was one, typically on that one MQL or AQL that lead scored up. But, but now, right, I, I, got, I have availability to all these different signals. And, and so you, know, you could argue now that says, hey, if I get a, a signal strength of X number of points from an account, and, and they haven't even made it to the website, but it's clearly obvious that this company is out, you know, researching a specific topic and it's evident that they're focused on trying to solve a business problem, but they haven't found me, right? In, in the past, number one, we didn't even know that existed, but we also don't even think about the process until they somehow found us and, and not only found us, but identified, raised their hand and engaged lots of content and lots of content, right? But but you could argue now that, that you know, that signal that says, I've got 20 people out in the market researching. That, that's a super strong signal, and, and we can now get that signal and act on it. And the action would be, you know, here's the, here's an account level or domain level insight that says there's 20 people from Acme researching this topic, and, and I can take action on it. I could throw that over to Tella and say, you know, it, it's it's not necessarily anybody's engaged, but there's evidence from the, from a you know a strength of signal perspective that this account has a a need they're trying to fulfill. And if I've gone through the exercise with sales already to say, okay, if it's my talent management solution that we believe that, that this organization is interested in, you know, they're trying to solve this problem. And I know the 10 or nine or seven or whatever key influencers and decision makers in that buying group, 
right now, now I have enough to say, okay, I, I can launch with a high degree of precision and a high expectation of results. I can launch some outbound efforts to that buying group, right? I can, I can do, you know, ad targeting. I could do outbound tele. And, and the key is leveraging that combined sort of view of all those different signals to see sort of the strength of it. That that's a higher probability or a higher propensity than just waiting for that one person to download that five white papers. And, and when I act in that way, my demand management process is much more efficient and, and I generate a lot more revenue, right? And, and, and so, you know, now I think what, what that starts to represent is a real fundamental shift on what we think of as a lead. Because we used to think about a lead. In fact, I started out our conversation saying the traditional view of a lead was a person, but it doesn't have to be, right? A lead could be, you know, a data point or a signal that says I've got a specific account that is really interested in a solution or solving a business problem. And if I have the right process and insight in place, that that's a great lead. That's a great signal. I can act on that. So, you know, I, I think technology allows us to even rethink that does a lead have to be a person or is and there is a lead really an account with evidence that we have the business pain that we can go address. Right. Um, so does that make sense? Any, any, any thoughts or follow on questions on that? That makes perfect sense. It certainly lends itself to the notion that the technology is able to give us more visibility to different signals, which in turn can allow the selling organisation to be more proactive in its marketing and sales intervention and a more agile demand management process, which I guess contributed to the overall shift in the sales and marketing landscape. So I guess the next question is whether the traditional lead scoring model is still relevant. Yeah, that's a great question. That comes up all the time, right? And, and, and I think, you know, one, one of the challenges, lead scoring was perceived absolutely as a silver bullet in, in B2B marketing for a while, right? And the assumption was that I can look at, you know, sort of profile characteristics and engagement and say, hey, this, this you know, based on the fact somebody downloaded five white papers and they're the right role, we think that's a, a high propensity, you know, opportunity and, and we ought to engage right and um so I, I think the intent and the spirit was right but but as we saw earlier uh, you know it, it, that introduces some opportunities if, if all my focus is just on that individual lead and i've scored that lead but i don't have insight into all the other factors that could help me you know sort of evaluate the propensity to buy that then i think it's short sighted you know very short sighted so so lead scoring is still important in the context of it's important to understand engagement right and the interactions of people that's a really strong signal the, you know the fact that somebody's coming and engaging is great right the fact that that in fact here, here's a question let me let me give you a pop quiz you probably haven't had this on your podcast before right but but you know like, like which do you think would be a higher signal from a scoring perspective right that you know i've got one person that came and downloaded you know five white papers and and you know Virtually every scoring model I know that would have bells and whistles going off and saying, "Okay, this is this is somebody that's really hot because they're consuming all kind of content. Let's go follow up on them, right?" Or, or option B says, "I've got five people that downloaded one white paper, and those five people came from the same company. And you know what it looks like based on the data we have is that that these five people are also in the same buying group, right?" So, you know, if we think about scoring in that context, which do we think has a higher propensity to buy? Well, if, if we're talking about the sales community within the organisation getting excited about an individual downloading several pieces of content, I would have to say option A. 
Right. So, so, but that could be a groupie, right? It could be one guy, but, it, but he's not, he's not reflecting, you know, sort of that the fact that it's, it's somebody that maybe has a vision, right. And they're going out and starting to research, but there's no buying group that's been formed. There, there's not organizational level interest. So, so actually what we're seeing, right, is, uh, you know, having that insight that says I had five people in the same group, even if they only downloaded one piece of content, that could be what's appropriate based on their role. Right. They have very specific questions that they're trying to understand at that stage of the buyer's journey. So they might not be binging. They might say, OK, this is what I need to know and I've got it. But the fact that I've got five people that are doing this in the same relative time period, that, that's a huge signal. Right. And, and so the, the common thing that we're looking at is, you know, I want I still want to understand on the interaction who these people are. Right. I, 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 you know, and there's more more value in having somebody that we know is part of the buying group engaging than somebody that we think is outside and, and maybe not part of the buying group. So, you know, there, there's relevance and kind of scoring of the people. There's relevance of scoring the depth of the engagement and the type of engagement. But, but the big context is the shift that says, you know, when I evaluate this, what I want to do is think about the scoring of that group as opposed to scoring of just that one individual and also start to layer in, right? So I get signals around, you know, first party intent or that that web activity of anonymous people. I, I can score that as part of this overall holistic view, you know, picture of what we're trying to score. And, and I can also score the fact that, you know, I, I have third party intent providers telling me that this organization is very active on the external web researching a lot. So, you know, this, the concept of scoring is still absolutely important. Right. And, and we need to be able to prioritize the, the evolution. The change is that we don't want to just score that individual eating more. I want to take all of these different signals of third party intent, first party intent, direct you know, interactions and, and people that are really binging and, and weave it together to tell a much more holistic story. And when I do that, right, then, then I have a much higher conversion rate, much better efficiency, because I really understand kind of this big picture view of, of what's going on in this buying decision process, as opposed to just that tip of the iceberg. Hey, I've got one person that downloaded five white papers. So, yeah, I, I would say traditional scoring, if it's based on, on a lead centric view where it's highly assumptive that says I'm going to give 10 points to a white paper and 15 points to a webinar, that, that's probably sort of starting to phase out but but this concept of scoring and looking at engagement looking at who's engaging the type of engagement but in the context of that group absolutely still valid everything you said there makes perfect sense terry and, and so simple and obvious as well um what would be the three key takeaways our listeners could walk away with from today's podcast Oh, great question. Yeah, I think that, boy, we're at the end of time already. It's so fun when we get in these conversations, it goes so quickly. But yeah, I think I think the three key takeaways are, you know, from a, like a cultural perspective, the, the most important thing, whether, whether you're still going to operate on a lead-centric model or you're going to start to evolve to a buying group, right? The, the most important thing you can do as an organization is sit down with marketing and teleservices and, and sales and, and really iron out what is it that we're looking for at these key handoff points, right? What describes a, a qualified lead? And, and again, it's not a single one size fits all silver bullet. I want to look at, you know, kind of the factors of market maturity and readiness and, uh, you know, make sure we're making the right decision as far as the definitions. But, you know, 
if you don't have really good agreement on you know what it is we're going to hand from you know marketing to tele and tele to sales and you don't have a really good agreement on you know when when i hand this over what that receiving function is going to do and how they send it back or how they move it forward then Anything else you do really is is not going to work, right? That's the fundamental thing. I've got to get the infrastructure process in place based on an agreement between sales and marketing. And you know, what are the things that are moving through this process, and what do we do in the steps of the process, right? Now, now having having said that, right, I, I think we're definitely at the point in time where um, we absolutely should start thinking about how do we start to operationalize. And, and how do we shift our culture around thinking about individual leads to buying groups, right? And, um, you know, and, and, and you know, that, that leads us to aligning with sales and the concept. When, when I talk to sales, often we say it's just we're thinking about opportunities even as opposed to buying groups. But, you know, we're aligning with sales terminology and visibility. And, you know, there's, there's a crawl, walk, run approach that a lot of organizations can take, right? We don't have to go 100% all the way from an automation perspective day one, but there's some very natural things we can do where you know we mentioned for example in in tele right having tele start to ask the question of who else involved in this buying decision process and, and what role are they playing and, and and proactively with marketing and sales working together to define that buying group map right now that gives tele the visibility and the insight to say these are the people i need to be identifying and and, and you know collecting that information and sending that over to sales is just a huge upside compared to thinking about just individual leads, right? And um, I, I think the third takeaway is, um, you know, we're, we're at a major inflection point in the market where technology really is transforming this, the demand management process. I mean, we had the first transformation, you know, 10 years ago with marketing automation introducing this concept of lead scoring. But now with all the different types of signals and, and you know, the machine learning that's starting to group people together and, and make recommendations to say, hey, we think these these people are actually in a buying group, right? It, 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 it's, it's now a lot easier to start to drive this transformation because, uh, you know, the, the systems are in place and the, and the technology is in place. Place, uh, to start you to give you this insight. So it, it, it's absolutely time to you know, think about all the signals that are available to you and, and leverage those signals in the demand management process as opposed to you know, just considering you know, sort of the, the saturated hand raises from a single individual, which is typically what we've been focused on before. Right. So just to wrap up the, re the wrap up, it's, you know, be aligned between sales and marketing, uh, start to think about buying groups and, and start to look at other sources of signals that, that help you paint a bigger holistic picture uh, of this potential opportunity that could move your, through your demand management process. My thanks to Terry Flaherty of Serious Decisions. I think it's fair to say a lot can be taken away from today's podcast and we'll be using a lot of what was discussed moving forward. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us from, as we have more on lead generation coming up over the course of this month. Thanks for listening to Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions. I'm Charles Commons, and I'll be back next Wednesday. Wednesday.